Thanks for joining us here on Top 5 Comics Podcast. Uh, this is just an editor's note. This episode's going to be a little bit different than normal. A few weeks back, we got to do an interview with Mr. Jerry DeCare and our friends over at the uh, Comic Talk 616. So uh, we're going to run that for you today. So a little bit different than normal. Believe me, Victor, eventually we'll get to Logan and sort of destroy it, probably. Anyway, enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Today with us, we have... Steve with Top 5 Comics Podcast, and... Jake from Comic Talk 616. And this is Rom from Top 5 Comics. And I'm Matt from Comic Talk 616. This is Leroy with Top 5 Comics Podcast. We're here with... Sherry DeCare. Illustrator for Marvel Entertainment and other independent publishing houses, and currently working on a book called Gods in Men. And really neat thing that's actually going to be proof redacted and uh, going to get a forward from Evan Alexander himself of Proof of Heaven. Well, that's awesome. Heck yeah. Well, Jerry, well, you're in the Top of Comic Shop today to the signing for us, and we appreciate that a lot. Thanks for stopping by and driving sure. through Colorado doing things. And like you were just saying, Gods and Men, do we have uh, do we have a tentative release date yet? Or I'm sorry, question again. Gods and Men, do we have a tentative release date? Uh, not at this uh, at the time. In fact, there's it's actually been in uh, production for quite some time because it's it's a highly involved book. It's more than just words. Uh, I'm writing it and I'm illustrating it as well. But boy, I have a lot of images that I've already uh, produced for the book. I've uh, written the philosophical argument uh, introduction to the book, and then I have to do the experiential part, which I am presently working on as well, and that's the uh, transcendental accounts of people who have had some very interesting experiences, including Alexander, the gentleman that I have just mentioned, and uh, that is going to be done in the graphic novel uh, format. It's going to be sequential narrative, uh, image-to-image, uh, panel-to-panel storytelling, and it should, uh, I hope it, it's going to capture the world uh, in, in, in sort of a big way, because it's, I think it's going to be something unique. I mean, we've all seen the sort of spiritualist books out there and New Age stuff and all that, and philosophy books on consciousness, and yet I've never seen them graced by uh, a lot of uh, interesting imagery and artwork. So I, I hope this is going to be uh, quite unique. And also the reason I'm doing it experientially in a graphic novel-style format is because I want to uh, bring the person into the experience of the person who's having it themselves. I want them to feel as if they're going through that experience by seeing these images happening. So um, I hope that makes sense to you. No, yeah, yeah they, they did some similar with the, <clears throat> the action bible. Uh-huh. So that, that sounds really cool. I'm excited. The action that. bible? Yeah. Uh, uh, this uh, is going to shock you, but I have a 1997 news article done on me coming up with the action bible. Really? No joke. Like with the comic book format? Absolutely. It, it was what? David and Goliath. Yes, I know. And this is something that's going to shock you guys. I really have my face in that Virginia Pilot news story. It's a very widespread uh, newspaper article. 97, and I was dealing with Richard Ashford, who is actually uh, editor of Conan the Barbarian. And, uh, and I was working with Roy Thomas, but it was my idea. Even had the contract written up and everything. And then somehow somebody flew with it with somebody else, and I saw what it seemed like was my action Bible on the newsstands. And it turns out they sold, like, I think I, I, they sold over a million copies. They retail for about 30 apiece. Yeah, so, you go to Walmart. Well, I tell you what, that. you know what that told me? It told me, even though I didn't take a, uh, a part of that, you know, of that action, if you will, it told me at least my ideas are good. I, you know, I, it, it convinced me my ideas are good. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You can do a cookbook with Cooking with Thanos, so. Okay. There's, 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 there's <laughs> that sounds there. good. 
that. Um, what actually inspired you to get into drawing comics? What was... Was there, like, a, a particular comic that you saw or something that inspired you that really made you want to be in this field? Yeah. Um, well, uh, what inspired me to draw comics uh, isn't the same as what inspired me to just draw, period. Okay. You know, I remember when I was a young boy, seven or eight years old, I saw a drawing hanging up in my uh, mother's, you know, this is back in the day, you know, when wood paneling was cool, you know what I mean? It was hanging up on the on the wall, and I'm looking at that and thinking, it was actually a picture of a dog, and I thought, and it was a drawing of a dog. And I thought, I wanted nothing more than to be able to do that. And I very distinctly recall, and don't want to get wholly religious on you or anything, but I remember going to my bedroom, getting on my knees, praying, please give me that gift. You know what I mean? That's exactly, you know, how I approached that. And right away I was drawing. And I remember that even at eight years of age, I remember I was trying to convince my grandmother that, yeah, I really drew this, you know, and she uh, actually gave me a spanking because she says it's not good to lie. You know, you couldn't have possibly tried it. So I do know that things were happening even at a very young age, you know. So I, I sort of had an aptitude for that. And um, and then then it's not that big of a step going from learning to draw like that and to going, now I'm reading comic books, right? And I'm reading the old Jack Kirby and John Buscema and Stan Lee material, and I really dug that stuff. And I especially love the Silver Surfer, and I love the... Do you remember, guys, I don't know if you ever, ever saw the classic of Thor versus the Silver Surfer and that cover, you know what I mean? That was great. And I remember going to the drugstores every month and picking up, you know, the cliffhanger, you know, uh, uh, edition after, you know, the cliffhanger, rather, that took place prior to it, and uh, and really loving that stuff. And so I'm thinking it's not a far cry then, from, or rather a far uh, distance from uh, doing the artwork in general, like drawing your next-door neighbor or drawing uh, a flower or anything like that, to now you're reading superhero comic books, and you're now thinking, hey, why can't I draw these superheroes? Does that make any sense? No, it totally makes sense. You yeah. know, so, yeah, and I, I thought that was... Uh, so drawing was my first love. Secondly, I'm reading comic books. And thirdly, I sort of tie that stuff in together and say, you know what? That's what I need to do, because I, I love to draw the human figure, and I love to draw superheroes. And those worlds, uh, they, they really lured you in, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know, they, they say that 15-year-olds are particularly mesmerized by these power stories, if you will, because why? Because we picture ourselves in these positions of power, and we live in a world that we seem to have very little control over. We're very, you know what I mean? We, we, we don't have power over the world around us. Stan Lee even went so far as to say that, but that's where the Hulk comes from. You know, in a world that we can't do anything about the things that are happening to us, well, here finally is a guy who can do something about it. You know, this incredible Hulk who goes into a rage and starts tearing everything up that gets in his way, you know. And that's kind of our response to the world. Me, I picture myself as a silver surfer. I'm this godlike being going around, the, the wailing philosopher, if you will, looking at a world that is wretched. He comes from a world where they don't have starvation, they don't have wars, uh, they don't have any of those things going on on his planet. So he looks at us like a bunch of savages. So I was always uh, pulled into that, and I love the philosophy behind it. And uh, and I think Stan Lee loved doing that, I guess, you know, because uh, he would have lines in the comics that would really kind of take me aback, you know. Anybody remember the one where he said, uh, and this is in regards to money, he said, money, truly the most worthless of all of Earth's bounty, and yet what immeasurable anguish had been endured for the lack of it. You know, great lines like that, you know, um, and also talking about, there was a time when the surfer wanted to save this woman from an ailment that she had in the hospital, 
and he's using his power cosmic to, you know, bring her back to health. And the, the police officers show up on the scene with big bazookas. We're talking about military-issue, you know, weapons. And they blast the surfer into the chest. And, of course, that does nothing to the surfer. But what you see is this smoke just roiling off his chest. And for the first time, he's ticked, you know. He's got his teeth clenched, and he's clenched his fist. And he's looking at these guys, and he says something very, he says, From cradle to graves, your lives have been steeped in violence. But if, if it is power you worship, then I will show you a power such as you have never known. That's a great line. And then he goes around the earth, and he brings the earth to a standstill with his power cosmic. And, the, and Armageddon just looks like, you know, cities are blackening out, just smoke everywhere. It looks like Armageddon. And of course, now what's interesting is that the surfer stops. He relents, okay? And you see him floating on this asteroid. And John Buscema drew this, and it's just beautifully done. But you see his head draped in melodramatic fashion as he weeps. The great silver surfer is weeping, you know. And he says, in my anger, I have become no better than they. Is that not a great line? It's good, yeah. Yeah, I have become no better than they, you know, in my anger. Yeah, that, yeah, that's just terrific. So there's ethical, moral lessons also to be learned in it. And it just drew me in. And I thought, wow, if only I could depict these things. If only I could draw them and do what John Buscema has done. You know, so there's a passion in that. And I think no matter what, a kid out in school and everything, whatever passion you have, you know, do it to your utmost, do it at a young age, whatever it is, whether it be sports or art, mathematics, science, whatever it is, you know, start at a young age and and somehow cultivate that passion. How that is done, I don't know. How much of that is genetic and it just happens to you and you're just a lucky Joe? Or is it something we have control over? I have no idea. But I, I'd like to believe we have some control over that. And that's why we leave our messages, you know. Yeah. So bouncing off that, um, you know, as you're saying, like as a kid you were reading this and you were wanting to do that. So when you got your first Marvel book, and they uh -huh. said, we want you. What, what was that feeling like? Oh. Because the nostalgia of that, like oh. when Marvel says... Well, I had an ex-wife <laughs> who answered the phone and says, yeah, whatever. And she treated the editor like... And then later on, I found out he called me, and he left a number. This is Bob Harris of the X-Men, okay? And she said to me, I know oh. it. And she says, some Man. Joe called you. I go, some Joe... Marvel Comics, some Joe. <laughs> that's and that's when she became. That's the why we're divorced now. No, I'm kidding. With you. That's not. That's not why. But um, and then I remember I had to call him back. Now this is the funny part because this is like an X Men annual, and what's really funny is they wanted to give this thing to me, and I said, and I was not an X Men fan. I can't lie to you. I was not an X Men. I am now. I love the movies and everything, but I wasn't an X Men fan at the time. I was a big Fantastic Four fan. And I actually said to the, Bob Harris, I says, well, can you give me a Fantastic Four instead? No kidding, I said that. It was stupid, you know. <laughs> wow. And he actually said, I know, ow, ow. And he actually said to me, he says, well, listen, if you don't want it, buddy, I can give it to somebody else. You can see he was a little ticked, you know what I mean? And and then I was thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, if you want to have a chance of doing an FF, you better grab whatever they give you, you know what I mean? So, no, 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 I'll take it, you know. So that's kind of how that started. And yeah. you're, I know you're looking at me like I'm a moron, right? No, I mean... <laughs> Why would anybody say that, you know, but I actually did say that. No, yeah. it is what it is. I mean, you, you, yeah. you want to be putting your best foot forward, so you want to work on something you're passionate uh, absolutely, about. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Did you end up ever doing the Fantastic Four? Never. Never? Never. And I, in fact, Silver <laughs> like, Surfer... Might what I want to do, I'm never going to do. And the Silver Surfer, oh, God. And you know what? There is one character, though, even though I'm not a... I'm kind of a fan, but not a huge fan of, would be the Incredible Hulk. But... That would be one of the books I would love to do just because he is just the body. 
and the way it's drawn is so massive, and it would be fun to do the Incredible Hulk. But the character, I'm not the biggest fan of, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But to actually render him and draw him, wow, that would be a lot of fun. So, you know, I'd love that opportunity. If they gave you one book, you could choose any book, and you got to do the whole entire series for it. Yeah. What would you do? Uh, like in other words, you just kept kept it doing Mar- it. Basically, Marvel, yeah, Marvel is like you could do whatever you want, however you want. Uh it would pick a character. Wow, probably free reign. Probably Fantastic Four. Yeah, probably yeah. Fantastic Four. I love the thing, man. That's great. I love Ben Grimm. Isn't he awesome? Oh yeah, yeah. He, he no matter how perilous the obstacles become, he's always got a great sense of humor, you know, and. Uh, even though he's not, my, like I said, Silver Surfer's my number one, but I have to say, since the Surfer doesn't have his own book right now, as far as I know, uh, I'd have, and the Fantastic Four does, as far as I know, I would go, I would pick up the Fantastic Four, you know, and I would continue with that. Probably. I'd love that. They're disbanded now, right? At this point, we don't have a current Fantastic Four they, book right They are now. coming back, though. I oh, they don't right now have, have one. Yeah. I, know, I thought they did. I know, well, they, I mean, they broke up, and I know right. Marvel's decided they're coming back back. They're, they're starting with new number one. I thought ones. they were the most, what is it, the greatest magazine under the, what, what was the title for that? You know, what Greatest comic that? book, yeah. The greatest comic book. The, yeah. So, the Fantastic Four, there's a little bit of fallout in there because the what? rights lie with the movies with Fox and Fox really wanted to sell the Fantastic Four back to right. the mouse or Marvel. Right. And the mouse didn't want to pay what they wanted so they made themselves a movie that was not very good. <laughs> And then... Who are we talking about now? That's not that Fox one who did that. Oh, that was horrible. Yeah. That was so bad. I, oh. I, wa- I got it for free on Netflix, and I felt right. like I lost money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I keep seeing it on Netflix. I'm not watching it. Like, Whoa. I'm literally it's, Whoa. not paying nothing. It's pretty nothing. bad. My so IQ literally dropped by 10 yeah. points. It, it comes off... It did, it did badly, but part of the direction with it... Now, granted, the director claims it's not edited the way he wanted it to come out. And some yeah. of the effects are great. Like, if it wasn't a Fantastic Four movie... And just like a sci-fi channel movie, yeah, it'd be great. Sharknado wow. is better. Wow, yeah. you know, it, it, you know how they give it uh, like four, what is it, five stars? You right. know, they go one zero, one to five it, stars, it right? Doesn't land on any of the stars. No, 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 no. In fact, yeah, actually, me and my sister had this joke. We mm-hmm. saw this one bad movie together, and uh, we called it. We had to come up with a new name. We called it the Clubber. In other words, why didn't you just club me over the head and steal my money <laughs> rather than have me sit and suffer for two hours through right. this? You <laughs> know what I mean? So yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Fantastic Four, right? Exactly. <laughs> or Godzilla. Wait, uh, they made a, they made a movie of that in the nineties. Yeah. yeah, that that Fantastic Four was a clever man. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yes, yeah. so but bad. part of it being yeah. released in general, after they put it together and they made all the rhetoric about it, they let Marvel be aware of what was in it and what it was going to be, and then offered to sell it again to them. Uh, in the process of spending all the money they did on making the Fantastic Four, they lost the rights to Daredevil and lost the rights to the Punisher because they reverted back to Marvel yeah. or the home. And Marvel still wouldn't buy the Fantastic Four for them. So instead, for whatever reason, Marvel slash Mickey, or the mouse, Disney, decided to cancel the Fantastic Four because they thought this will hurt the movie. Ultimately, oh, man. when they did, they did it in the story format, though. They ended yeah. Secret Wars... With the Fantastic Four proper, so like Sue and Reed and the kids sure, sure. going off into the cosmos to do things. By the way, if you didn't read, Secret Wars is going to spoil them for you. Sorry. It's your own fault. It's your own fault at this point, yeah. So, they didn't they, read nothing, never going to read it. Do right. you think they are? Is it in fire zone? They're going to bring it back? Or? At this point, there's talks about it because they left okay. Ben and they left Johnny in the right. universe. Right. Ben joined the, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which makes right. sense because he was a space pilot. Right. Johnny joined the Inhumans. 
of because he kind of dated one of them, I guess, and it was also part of the Uncanny Avengers for a second. Right. So both of them stayed in the universe, whereas the family proper went off to the cosmos to create random universes. So them coming back is not a hard thing to do. They're like the new builders. Right. Yeah. So yeah. as far as it being a thing, at this point there's talks of it. I don't think they've actually released a date by any means or even a group working on it. So, yeah. hey, maybe you'll get a chance. You, know, you never know. I mean, uh, as far as, like, books when, are concerned... When they hear this podcast. Um, you never because know. Because it has so much power. <laughs> It's, uh, well, that's going to be say it's yeah. very possible. And as far no, as like talk books, about the dirt. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. We hear this clean like that. Right. We don't loss, want lawsuits. You well, know what I mean? And <laughs> if you were to do a Fantastic Four book, the great thing about that is ultimately you could use a Surfer. I mean, they kind of right. go hand in hand. Sure. Surfer, I think it still has a current series running that's being done by Mike Allred. Okay. So he's got a series happening. Right. But as far as the rest of it's concerned... It'd be easy to connect mm. with the four again. You know, you asked about what I, I never did anything for DC, but you know what? Um, I, I would like to do Flash. Really cool. Yeah, Flash would be cool. That'd be cool. And plus, cool. Flash has one of the more simple, cool-looking outfits. But really good storylines. Really yeah. in-depth, full of right. a lot of thought-provoking ideas. They do a lot of cool stuff with the Flash and your style of drawing. Okay, so lead another question. So your style of drawing with the whole mathematical style of things, mm-hmm. the Flash would lend to it real well. Well, interesting, yeah. Why do you feel that way? Well, the way you break everything down into into, into shapes, right. the Flash's suit is full body suit. And so the only thing different is the lightning and the way it uh-huh. jumps around him. Right. So the way you do equations, like the style of suit, the way you do the muscle lig- 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 ligature, ligature right. Right. how do you say that word? Somebody? Ligatures? Ligamatures. Oh, you mean... You, you ligaments? Start... Like your muscles. Oh, you mean the ligaments? Yes, ligaments. You tendons, ligaments, and, yeah. uh, and uh, skeletal muscle. And... Right. right. Okay, yeah. Well, the, way, the way you drive yeah. your ligaments, right. if that's the right word, we're going to go forward with that. Would lend to it. I mean, especially the way you talk about your drawing, like when the stuff oh, you're doing. Okay, today. like in other words, you're you're thinking that. Like also, one of the things that an artist has to focus on is the um, uh, articulations. You know, right. like you you don't have to fully understand what's happening with the skeletal. Uh, you know, because basically what I do is I use cubes and cylinders to volumize the figure. I really have to understand the muscles, and I have to have some basic ideas to how the skeleton is underlying, you know what I mean, the figure. Right. But it's the articulations where you become visible what's happening on the surface that you have to be really careful about. You know, so that's, and I, I, I how, I don't know, I just feel like that applies to maybe virtually any character that you're going to be drawing. Uh, I don't know how that maybe Flash would, it would be beneficial that way, but I, I, or maybe be a little more conducive towards that approach. I don't know. Uh, the thing that attracts me to Flash, though, would be it's the way he leans into, and this I'm going to give you a little clue here. Um, artists, when they do guys who are running like the Flash, you don't reference, if you if you need a reference for running, you don't reference runners. You're gonna, it's, they're going to look like they're drawing very, um, running very flatly and very slowly is what it's going to look like. What you look to are speed skaters, and you also look to, and no, I'm serious, speed skaters. You know how they really stretch into it? And if you want to use that for a reference, and I could see myself borrowing upon those sort of, you know what I mean, those sure, sources yeah. to come up with a really great flash, you know, and uh, and that lightning bolt just flashing behind him as he's zipping down, you know, well, not just multiple that. image flash, and, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, thinking back to what little, like, Winter Olympic stuff I've seen, that makes a lot of sense, actually, because the way they're posed yeah. is almost always in, like, a running man pose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And by the way, when you throw a punch, too, uh, this is a known fact, that a lot of artists will use the baseball pitch as a punch. If you actually look at uh, fights with Ali and, uh, you know, Tyson and all that, right. they're basically just standing straight, and it's very 
very anticlimactic. It's it's not very impressive if you get a still shot of these boxers fighting. It's really not impressive. So what you do is you look at a baseball pitcher really winding up and throwing that arm. That's what makes for a Marvel Comics punch. You know what I mean? Oops, sorry, folks. I've got... Uh, Oh, my goodness. Can you pardon me for a minute? Okay, go ahead. This will get on the podcast, too. Oh, let's see. Can I call you later? Call the client. Whoa. Um, sorry about that. And it's someone very important. I'm going to get in trouble if I don't call her back. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's understandable. Sorry about that, Donna. Okay. <laughs> Actually, we, we talked about a couple of these things earlier on. And so I, I thought it was so interesting. I really want everyone to be able to hear it. Right. One of the things that we talked about earlier on was... Um, You'd you'd had a relationship with this guy, and he would tell you earlier in your career how bad you were. Oh, and then you, as you went, oh, you mean John Buscema? You mean? Or? Yeah, if you if you could relay that story again, that would be yeah, fantastic. John Buscema when he first looked at my work, um, uh, and I, this is even when I started out with uh, with Marvel. You know what I mean? And it's like, and I'm showing him my work, and I can, and I'll and I'll confess right now in front of everyone. Now, you know, I'm, hopefully you won't edit this because I'll, I'll be honest. I, I think the stuff that I did for Marvel early was uh, pretty bad, you know, and uh, and John was very quick to point that out, unfortunately, but I was always doing drawings well when I was younger, so John looked at that when I sent it to him in, by the mail, now Joe Rubenstein gave me his phone number so I could call him up personally, you know, and ask him, hey John, I sent that stuff to you in the mail, could you take a look at it? Oh yeah, I got it here somewhere, let me take a look, oh yeah, okay, you know, he opens up the box and looks at it, and he says, Hey, listen, uh, this, uh, this piano keyboard, it looks pretty good, you know, it's a good drawing, but listen, buddy, I don't mean to break your heart, but, uh, this, uh, comic book stuff is garbage. It's garbage, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I thought, oh my yeah. god, oh my god. But you know what? Because he's my hero. John Buscema, to me, was the greatest comic illustrator ever. And what I did is, instead of giving up, I went back to the drawing board, sent him years later, and this is when... About in the time period that I was doing the werewolf vampire books, which are much, much more professional now oh, than, amazing, than, than the work. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I remember, uh, John, then I called him up again. Uh, John, what do you think now? Oh, let me tell you something, buddies. It's as good as the best in the business. And you know why I took him seriously with the flattery? Because I took him seriously with the insult. You know what I mean? Like when he cut me to the quick and chopped me off the kneecaps, I knew this guy was honest. I knew he was going to tell me what he really thought. And so I had, um, you know, but to me, there's a great lesson in that, you know, that that when you have a dream and you have a passion for it, and if you're willing to not give up on it, you can make it happen. You just got to apply yourself and, and you can get better at what it is that you're doing. So, and no matter what your aptitude, you will always get better when you try and you work at it. Of course, there are going to be people who have an aptitude for something. They're going to have an edge on you, you know, and that's just the way it is. And they'll be able to take it a little bit further. But I think someone who has a little less aptitude, who's willing to work hard at it, can go farther than the guy with an aptitude who isn't willing to put in the hours. Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I really believe that. You know, passion counts for a lot. Without well, a um, so when you're drawing, when you're drawing a character, when they give you a character, how do you start? Like, what's your first thing you do? Because I know, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not very good at drawing. Because sure. I didn't practice Well, much, what but. I do is I, I call it the idiot factor. I'm okay. an idiot. You know what I mean? And i got to simplify things. So it's kind of like algebra. You know, you don't go, like when you're trying to find the variable X, you don't go immediately to X. You're not goodwill hunting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unless you're goodwill hunting and you're this, you know, incredible genius that there's only one of two guys on the planet that can do that kind of stuff. You have to do step by step to find X. You know what I mean? And that's okay. 
what my blocks, my cubes, and my cylinders do. It, rather than be thinking about all those muscles and everything, what you do is you just break them down into simple geometric shapes, and it's easy to imagine a cube that you're looking below or looking above or you're rotating the cube. It's much easier to think about those shapes like that in various perspectives than it is to think right off the bat about the complicated human anatomy. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And once you figure all that simple stuff out, then it's a simple matter of then putting in those muscles. And everybody thinks that's the hard part. Oh, no. It's almost as easy as a coloring book. Once you get the mathematical foundations and the proportions right and get all those simple shapes right, that's what you struggle with. And you got to get that right first, and then you start putting in the details. That's cool. You know, and that's, like I said, it's like a coloring book after that, especially if you've done as many years as I have. I hope that makes sense. You yeah, know? yeah, you basically build the shapes and then yep. formulate it out for them because the simple shapes are Absolutely. To do. I'm a moron. You know <laughs> what I mean? So I, I've got, I got to do it that way, you know. <laughs> what, what really is the concept, or what kind of concept did lead you to the book that you're working on now? Uh, uh, Gods and Men? Yes. Oh, boy. You're getting on touchy ground now, guys. Oh. I'm not kidding you, but... I don't mind sharing it with you, though, because um, I, I, uh, I have a love friend, if you will, Brandy Hoffman, and she unfortunately had uh, bipolar disorder. And, uh, and I had uh, nearly seven years of an indescribable relationship with her, someone I could really relate to, someone that touched my soul, you know, that it makes sense to you if you know anyone like that in your life, you know what I mean? And um, well, she took her own life, and that was crushing. And I gotta tell you something, man. It crushed me for a good six, seven years. I mean, to the point where I wasn't, I wasn't even functional. And I, I would ask questions and I would say, well, is that really it? Is that her? Uh, that she's gone. Uh, she's not anywhere else anymore. Uh, that, that's, that personality, that, um, that flame, if you will, got snuffed out and is never to be seen again. Is it really that simple? And I never got much, uh, solace from a lot of religion. Uh, because it was a lot of platitudes and a lot of simple uh, promises that I just thought, well, is there any evidence for it? And so I began to do a lot of research in this topic of consciousness, and I was surprised with what I found. I thought that uh, some of it gave some kind of promise, you know what I mean, that they're, that she's still there. And that's what motivated me. I don't mean to glum on you guys or anything, but, you know, is this quite all right? Uh, oh, yeah. So that, that uh, it motivated me, you know. Um, to um, give her an ode and give her the respects that I felt she was due. And because she, she passed from this world, and yet the world is still revolving around. To me, when she left, I thought, oh, my God, the world should stop. Why is everybody still functioning? Why is the world still going around? You know what I mean? And, and, and it's my dedication to her, you know, gods and men. And it wrestles uh, with the, the tough subjects. You know, what is the meaning of life? What is purpose? Uh, why am I here? Um, is there really a God? Uh, does consciousness go on? You know, after the, the brain-body problem, you know, is uh, once the body is gone, we all know the body goes, you know what I mean? But once that is, are you really gone? Is what uh, the, the, the real person, you know, that, that was within, if you will. And it may not be a soul. It may be more of an idealist philosophy that talks about how, um, uh, I, think, I, I think Paul Davis said it best. He said, it was well said uh, that there is no ghost in the machine. So in other words, he wasn't a dualist. He's not a dualist. He's still alive, so I don't know why I say he wasn't a dualist. He's, he's not a dualist. He doesn't believe in a soul, so to speak. 
But that doesn't mean, he says, it's a good thing to deny or reject the ghost in the machine. He says, but not because there isn't a ghost, but because there is no machine. And that comes from a book called The Matter Myth. In other words, things are not what we seem. And many people argue, even in quantum physics, that it is matter that comes from mind, not mind from matter. And so it comes as no surprise then when you hear someone having a near-death experience where all of a sudden the brain that we think of as being the generator of consciousness turns out to be nothing more than more like a receiver of consciousness, and then it expands and becomes larger. And that's exactly what you hear from people who have near-death experiences, which I find really interesting. They even end up with what they call 360-degree vision. They're no longer seeing a binocular fashion like you and me. They're not they're no longer dependent on the eyes. They see in a different way, not in a human way. Isn't that interesting? Okay. But they still yeah. perceive. They still perceive, you know what I mean? But it's not in a way that we can understand in these human bodies. So I, I find the body, uh, I'm, I'm the, uh, the topic rather fascinating. And uh, Evan Alexander is a Harvard neurosurgeon, had his experience as well. And he's uh, collaborating with me on the book. And he will, like I said, he'll, uh, he'll proofread, redact, and check for scientific accuracy. After all, he's a heart and brain surgeon. You know, you know, he probably is a little more sensitive to scientific topics, even though it's physics that we're talking about and other issues. So I, I'm really very proud to be a part of, uh, you know, that collaboration. It, it, I really am. So. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, oh. Really, really awesome. It's great to, great to know. Well, yeah, like you were saying, I mean... It, most of us have dealt with something, like, to go back to the darker side of things, most of us have dealt with losing somebody that way in our lives. So, and granted, whether it was somebody close to you or not, I mean, the fact that there's something else to draw from to see that, I think that might help a lot of people, actually, and be a perfect avenue. Thank you, Steve. Book. That's exactly what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that the pain that someone else is going through, that this book is going to help them. Right. Very good. Yeah, I, that, that's exactly what my hope is. Excellent. I do. I like that a lot. Thank you. That's cool. That's, a, that's awesome. No, um, I, I, no, I'm just shutting up and listening. Uh. <laughs> um, Sorry, just getting started with Marvel. How did you get started with them? Well, that was with with Marvel. It was with a Bob Harris thing. You know what I mean? Getting the call and it just it just it just really floored me. You know what I mean? Because to me that was a dream come true. And I, let me let me add something here is that I remember that before I applied, I said to myself, and I mentioned this to you guys yesterday, I said to myself, what chance do I have? Come on, Jerry, get real. I was ready to quit before I even started. And then a thought occurred to me, I'll bet you that everyone else is thinking the exact same thing that is thinking about applying for to that company. And I'll bet you if I just simply submit my samples, I will have eliminated 90% of the competition right there. Right. You see what I mean? I think that's what you meant. Yeah. 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 And, and so that's what, you know, and I said, what the heck? Go for it. Another thing scared me was that I didn't have the drawing skills that I have now. I couldn't do things out of my head like I can now. I could always look at something and draw, but I couldn't do what I'm doing now. And I thought, my God, what if they call you up and you have to do a book and you got to do it in time? You have to do it fast enough. Can you do it? And that almost stopped me. And I said, no, I'm just going to throw. And I remember what my father did once when I was a kid. I hated, I didn't want to swim. I was scared to swim. You know what my dad did? You know how we solved that problem? He threw me in. <laughs> he threw me in. And I'll never forget that blissful experience, man. Gliding on the bottom of the lake, sun filtering through, how beautiful it was. I thought, thank you, Dad. Thank you. You know what I mean? So I just said, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to take that risk. And, um, you know, and they call me up. I'm going to have to pull out the goods. I don't think I did pull out the goods. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I got it done in time. 
whether it was the goods or not, I don't know. You know what I mean? But the early stuff, oh God. Okay. There was there was another part of that. Um, now, when you were telling that story before, uh, you had been rejected. At least. Oh right? yes. In fact, um, they had actually. Uh, I don't even want to tell you the date. Tell you how far back I go. But I remember <laughs> they said. Uh, uh, he actually sent me a, Jim Shooter sent me a form letter uh, saying, your stuff ain't up to snuff. Your stuff ain't up to snuff. Uh, and Jim, we, I've actually had sat down with and talked to before, too, actually. And Jim's very, just, just the way the guy talks. Wow. I got to talk to him last year at Denver Comic Con. We, we did an interview right. with him, talk about Harbinger and a bunch of film stuff. But, yeah, just the way he talks, that's, yeah. Well, either it was in Jersey or New York, but believe it or not, of the schools that I did presentations to, just so happens his wife was actually an administrator or a teacher there, and I actually encountered her. That's awesome. Isn't that rather yeah, coincidental? Crazy. Yeah, it is. I'll tell you another thing. And talk about this gods and men thing. One of the topics it covers is psi phenomena, this sort of psychic stuff, which, by the way, don't think for one minute I'm buying into these mediums and people who are sitting at uh, psych, you know, psychic carnivals and charging people money that all this is legitimate, okay? That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> right, right. But I think human beings have interesting experiences, and I think they happen at a time that is unheralded. You can't really, you know, I don't think you can sit down and say, I'm going to do a reading on you and have a line like at a Blue Mart, Kmart Blue Light special, you know, and people, you know, charging people money to do that. I'm not so sure I bite into that, sure. you know. Uh, but one of the things what was interesting is that there was a guy who did claim to me, yeah, Jerry, I really do have these things where I see the future. And let me put it this way. He says, you're not going to be working for Marvel for nine more years okay. after I was rejected. It was nine years to the button, man, that I actually got my first assignment with Marvel Entertainment. Now, is that interesting or what? That's crazy. That's crazy. That's, yeah. So there's little things like that that has happened in my life. You ought to hear my Green Hornet and Kato story, which is really weird. But <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I don't take drugs, folks. Worst thing I ever had was maybe a sour broccoli, you know, but that was about it. So, it's an entirely different thing, Jerry. It's totally, totally different thing. <laughs> oh yeah. So, when you're drawing characters, what's your favorite character to draw? Like, what's your favorite one you? Or what, the one I've actually drawn, or yeah. the uh, yeah for the uh, oh, for no. Marvel would be Thor. Thor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love Thor. I, I don't think I did a great job on him, uh, but it wasn't horrible. Yeah. Uh, oh, I do so much better now. You know what I mean? I think that, oh, God, you know, I do so much better now. You know, But, but Thor is, uh, um, uh, he's a guy that I'm just fascinated with. I certainly would contemporize him a little bit. I, I, I think the big wings on the helmet was a little bit much. That would look ridiculous right. in a movie. It really would, you know. It'd be a little over the top. It'd be over the top. Uh, yeah, probably very, they don't do it now. Very cartoony. Yeah, just, yeah it would just not look good. That's why I think that's why Captain America now has in the movies instead of the little wings on his head, he's got just the the pain stripe. The, yeah, the, the stripes, you know, in there. You know, that's yeah, right. You know, that's sort of like a monochromatic sort of uh, yeah, color. With a, yeah. yeah, it's not overdone. You know, Thor was awesome, Thor was but like I said, I if I could do a Surfer book, if Surfer was still out, oh, I oh my god, you know, that would be great. Okay. Yeah. Because he's a god. Right. In fact, according to Wizard World, he's the number one most powerful superhero. Thor, according to Wizard World. And this guy's is going to shock you. If you're any Hulk fans here, I hate to disappoint you, but Wizard World put Hulk at number 10, which is rather interesting. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Thor was number two. Uh, and I believe Superman was number three. And Doctor Strange was like number five. Really? But i got to tell you something. When I saw Doctor Strange in that movie, I thought he ought to be at the top of the list. I don't know if the server can even do that stuff. Uh, you know, pretty so. impressive, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was really yeah. impressive. Wow. Love the Doctor Strange movie, by the way. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah, heck yeah. It was great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, 
a lot of times you do this presentation for, for schools and, and with a lot of kids. Right. Um, what's it like to, to work with, like, the next generation of artists and stuff? Well, um, I, I think it's pretty exciting, but it all depends on the school. I, I'd say 85 to 95% of the shows are a, a smash. They're a great success, you know. And then there are some schools, too, well, I, that I struggle with a bit. Uh, we do have schools that are they're struggling, man. Um, and I don't know where the discipline is coming in. I will say this, though. I think it has to do with a lot with administrative um, approaches, how they're managing their, their, their students with behavioral issues and things like that. But the show itself is just its really uh, warmly welcomed. But I have done anything from the uh, drug rehab centers in Los Angeles to the, um, the Hackley School in, uh, that uh, only uh, students from the one percenters uh, go there, and it looks like uh, Hawksworth, you know, sitting in the, the uh, you know, in the woods. You know, it looks like a castle sitting in the woods, and this is a school. And this is one of our problems, too, in society. We need a more equal distribution of wealth. And because so much of uh, the way schools are operating, it's, it's based on what the wealth is in the area. Right. You know, and uh, that's not right. Because everybody should get a, a fair shake from the, at the beginning when they're developing. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. You know, and... Uh, so this is where I believe, and, you know, a lot of people gripe about a social system and all that kind of stuff, but when you talk about education and you talk about opportunities, I think that's one area where you be, got, need to be a little more social. You need to get a little bit more equal distribution of wealth, you know, to get some kids, uh, you know, give them a fair shake. So, but I got off a little off topic, because that's not really talking about my science of the superhero. Uh, which is a, That can happen sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, do the kids feel like... They like they they pick up what you're putting down. They do. Are they excited about? Absolutely, because uh, I find out that even months after the program, uh, they're still finagling with my cubes and cylinders, uh, drawing my the superheroes, and they're actually beginning to pay attention to the mathematics, not realizing that that actually has an application in their popular world. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. Yeah, it gets them excited about it. And it, there's it, still an excitement it, there. It does. I want to encourage them to focus more on their, their core subjects. And and, uh, and if I do that by via, you know, superhero, popular superheroes, then so be it. So that's how I handle it. Uh, I I really didn't. But I, I just like it's really, I just wanted to say it was really cool to meet you. It's really cool to see oh, thank you. you. Events like this, it's, it's kind of awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Coming to meet you. Well, I, I really, I... I I just hope people enjoy it, you know. Oh, no. So I really do. Oh, yeah. People definitely have fun. Oh, yeah. Today. Yeah. Great. Great. And it's a pleasure meeting you guys, too. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I love having these great conversations. I really do. And now we're doing a podcast. Hey, that's interesting. Working in the industry, have you had a lot of interesting stories? I mean, like, what is what is kind of the most interesting thing about working in the comic book industry, I guess? Is, is it? The drawing. Well, okay. Yeah. Just the drawing. <laughs> And you know what? I know less. I'll guarantee you, Steve here, as a store shop owner, knows more about what's going on in the comic book world than I do. In fact, John Buscema knew almost nothing about what was going on in the comic book world. It's easy to be in that position when you're an illustrator. Not so much if you're a writer. Writers are the ones that are creating this stuff, and they're really on top of things, and they know what's happening with the story. You know what I'm talking about? Sure, yeah, yeah. When you work as an illustrator, not so much. You know, and unless you're really into that stuff. Now, I'll pick up a comic book once in a while, but I don't collect them as much as I did when I was younger. 
Hmm. You know, I really don't. I don't have a whole box loads of this stuff. But I also appreciated more the way things were written when I was a kid because they were simple, and now we're getting into a lot of psycho kind of psychology sort of issues, and it's getting more harebrained, and to me it's just a little less entertaining. Because, you know... You might listen to me talk about my gods and men and all this philosophy and everything. You, are you kidding? I would think you would like that, Jerry. He goes, no, sometimes I don't want to think an awful lot. Sometimes sure. I just want to see Hulk versus Thor. Hulk smash <laughs> Thor, you know what I mean? That's all I want, you know. Right. And they made it simple like that back in the the, the old days when they did the, the comics, sure, you know. Yeah. yeah. It, it is something that, that now I've... I've been made aware of more than I ever did before. But I always thought, like, oh, yeah, the comic artists and the comic writers, they get to sit down and they talk and they know everything about what's going on. That's really not how no, it is. Not always. No, no, no. Once in a while, I mean, you get together at a convention, you guys will sit and talk and, and uh, you know, uh, shoot the you-know-what, you know, that kind of a thing. But um, I would say especially pencilers can get away with that because you're just, you're just taking on assignments that are given to you. Does that make sense? No, it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I even asked John Buscema. He did not really care for comics. He was an artist, you know, first in his mind, I guess. And um, I found it disappointing because I love comics, you know, and especially, you know, at, a, at, at when I was younger, you know. But uh, he he just told me. He says I asked him one day. I said, John, well, why do you do it? And he says, Well, I put my kids through college, buddy. You know what I mean? That was his <laughs> response. Put my kids through college. And I thought, well. He's like a normal guy. In fact, if you actually met John and everything, I mean, I guess he rode around on this Harley, and he looked like a truck driver. He'd wear a cap like yourself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was just a down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth guy, you know, salt-of-the-earth guy. And, he, you know, usually when I think of artists, I think of somebody with purple hair and a, a ring in their nose, you know, and, and, and I really <laughs> dug the fact that he was just an ordinary guy, you know. All right. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, very. This is the guy that did the fruit can or the the tomato cans. Oh. Andy Warhol. Yeah. Yeah. He's very what you consider to be an artist. He would be. Yeah. The purple hair guy. You yes, know. Yeah. yeah. If he was li- yes, living he today. Would. But you know what? Now that I think about it, you look at the comic book artists when you go to the conventions. They're pretty ordinary looking, aren't they? Yeah. Just wearing t-shirts and baseball caps, and yeah, they're not trying to look like Andy Warhol. No. You know. Not, yeah. not generally. No. No. There are some of the others, too. But okay, yeah. Not generally. Actually, I call them the pretenders. They're the ones who are trying to pretend that they, they're an artist. Mean right. They, they, yeah, right. Self-aware of the show. This is what an artist looks like. Yeah, right. Sure. Well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's kind of funny. I just went to a comic book convention, and a couple of times I was like, is that the artist, or is that just a guy sitting at their table yeah, selling their stuff? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Man. Without knowing them beforehand, it makes it hard. Yeah, That's absolutely. Sure. sure. What advice would you give up-and-coming artists trying to break into the business here? Well, things have changed a little bit since when I first broke in. You can't just submit your stuff to the big companies anymore by mailing it to them and expect them to give you either a rejection letter or give you a phone call. Marvel's not doing that anymore. Uh, I think DC is far more open in that regard than Marvel is right now. Um, you have a much better chance to go. Like, for example, Marvel is kind of have this uh, thing where they're saying, uh, don't call us, we'll call you. Uh, don't send us your artwork. If you're any good, we'll find you. That's kind of their attitude. DC, on the other hand, opens the doors at the uh, conventions that they go to, and they say, leave your portfolio with us, uh, put a uh, talent search, you know, uh, form on top of your, you know, samples, uh, give us only photocopy samples only, don't leave your originals, and and we'll look them over, and leave your card, and 
if we like what we see, we'll get back with you. So they're honestly doing a talent search, yeah, DC. And I think that's the way it ought to be, and I wish Marvel was doing more of that. And that's unfortunate. You know, now they're just looking at DeviantArt and some of the trash can stuff, or what do they call that stuff that, you know what I mean? I'm trying to remember what they call the small little comics that people produce. And, oh, uh, Ashcan, not trash can, yeah. Ashcan, right, Ashcan. Sorry about that. Well, probably webcomics as well. Yeah. Yes. Right, so I think the attitude has changed that way, and that's too bad. I think the biggest opportunities people have right now is with Dark Horse and with Image. And Image, especially if you want to retain your property rights, and uh, and you want to just create your own books and put them out there. Which, by the way, I'm coming up with some of my own ideas, and, and I'll probably do that in the near future. You know, I'm going to go ahead and pitch that and see where that flies. Sure. So it's awesome. Got a couple of cool ideas. So since Thor, Thor is your favorite character to draw, what what chain of restaurants would he go to? <laughs> where would Thor want to go? Well, I can't lie to you guys. You're talking Thor. He's a little bit kind of like, he's a milder version of Hercules, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, much more of a gentleman, you know. Uh, but nevertheless, he liked his ale. Uh, and I, I remember those scenes where he would be on that big oak long table <laughs> and as guard with all of the assembled heroes, uh, all the assembled as guardians, just feasting like crazy. And But man... You are not gonna have catch Thor eating quiche, man. It's got to be no. red meat, and he's gonna be eating a big steak, some boar or something like that on the table. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. He's gonna have that big ale, and so you're probably looking at um, uh, Outback Steakhouse. I think would be a good place to talk. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, Outback Steakhouse. I don't think you have to talk the way you go there. <laughs> and there's some other steak joints too, steakhouses. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Sure. That I think, yeah, he That's would. A good one. He would definitely be a good choice. Yeah. yeah. That's a good choice. So as to where Hulk goes, he goes wherever he wants to go. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> so, yeah. True. Very true. Okay, so if you're stranded on a deserted island, uh -huh. what five items would you take with you? Oh. Items can also be people. <laughs> this is going to crack you up. I'm very sensitive to the sun, man. Give, I better have like a, a uh, like a year's supply of zinc oxide, some sunblock, you know what I mean? I'm very sensitive. I better take that with me. I'm going to get scorched, you know, if I don't have that. Uh, what else would I take with me? Not counting food and water and all that, right? Well, I'm going to say there's fresh water available. Food, I mean, yeah, you're on an island, so you obviously you can find food. So, so food wouldn't be counted or would be? You would probably wouldn't need it for your, your five. I, I wouldn't need it? No. Okay. I would say you can find what food that you need to take. Oh! Well, for one thing, I'd certainly take some art material so that I can while away the day drawing, sure. which I love. And I would want to be able to write. I'd probably immerse myself in finishing up the book that I'm working on right now if I was stuck all of a sudden tomorrow. I'd want to occupy my mind. Uh, I wouldn't want to, you know, I, I'm, I'm remembering that movie Castaway, you know, with um, uh, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, mm -hmm. you know, and I love that movie, by the way. So no, no ice skates then. I know, <laughs> no, 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 and of course, oh my goodness gracious, give me something that can start a fire, oh, something that doesn't rely on uh, fuel, so you could always have that to start a spark. You flint gloves, yeah. Or yeah, right. I think I would have that. You have a nice fire, right? I think that'd be a wise choice. Absolutely. Is that four now? It's four. I've got one more. Hmm. And what else would I want to take? Uh, well, God, I've got a whole, I'm assuming there's fresh water on the island. Sure. Yes. So, okay, there's fresh water on the island. So, your girlfriend. Oh, I just, 
<laughs> that, that could be an appropriate choice. There you go. That sounds like a good five to me. She should have been my first first pick. She hears this and she wasn't picked first. She's going to be very very upset. With but me. she didn't right. want to be stranded with you. Right. You're, right. you're trying to spare her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's try to spare. There you go. All right. So we got one more. If you lived in a fantasy land, would you ride a chocolate pony? <coughs> would I ride a chocolate pony? If I. If you lived in a fantasy land. It all depends on whether or not it's cold enough so that I'm not getting chocolate dripping all over me. You know what I mean? It's a very good question. Yeah, yeah. If it was, you know how chocolate gets when you put it in the freezer? Oh, yeah. And it's nice and it doesn't, and you, you don't get it on your fingers, you know what I mean? Then I might ride that pony. <laughs> but I better, but then again, on the other hand, it might feel kind of, kind of cold. It's a very good point. Where things are ordinarily warm. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I might want to do that. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, Jerry, we want to thank you for stopping by at store and coming down to the pleasure. podcast with us. And it's very good. You guys at 616 and the top five. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. We appreciate you coming in, man. Well, thanks, thank man. You. This turned out to be amazing. You know, it really was an amazing experience. And I, and I thank you for having me here. Sure. Got a bunch of heroes here, you know. So.